Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Usually I'm the one saying ready a bunch of times. Um what is this? Murdery, murdery thingy. You said mur. <laughs> I was gonna say murdery first, and then I. This is just said it. mystery murdery thingy. Welcome. This is mystery murdery thingy. Welcome to Wednesday. I'm Chloe. I'm Mario. And we are here to talk some late night mystery. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. We we are doing this one hour before Wednesday. We are busy bees because we are. Busy bees. Busy bees. Do you want to go first or second? Um, I think you should go first. I'll dude. go I'm first. I'm like really excited. I was asking you all these questions, and you were like, "Just wait." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was telling you like a little bit about it. So, okay. So this week I'm talking about Black Cube. Black Cube. All right. Just all right. like the name. It's okay. just like conjures up mystery, right? Um, you know, it's just like, what is it? You know, is it like? Is it a black box with something in it? Is it like a bomb? Is it a black hole? Spoiler alert. It is not. (laughs) It's not any of that shit. It is a private intelligence service, a.k.a. a provider of business intelligence or litigation support services. As it, as they euphemistically say. Mario's doing the air quotes. I'm doing air quotes, y'all. So, yeah litigation support services so this is you know if you're like a real you know rich person if you're a a business if you're a a country you might you know need some of these services you know and uh you might call a company like black cube and so black cube's been around not for too long they've been around for about 10 years since about 2010 
and but they've become one of the most prominent and to some people sort of infamous uh members of this you know sort of small cadre of companies right that Mm -hmm. do these kind of things these private intelligence services or what they call uh because there's like a few of these i think that are israeli private Mossads. And uh, Mossad is the Israeli version of the CIA, so like the International Intelligence Service. So this is worldwide? Yes, very much so. Yeah, most of their business is outside of Israel. And they have um, offices in uh, Tel Aviv as well as London and Paris. And they want to open ones up all over the world in uh, New York, in, in um, you know, Beijing, uh, presumably. You know, yes, it's, it's very, very – that's sort of the whole point. Is that it's international. So, um, for example, if you're a private individual, right, who's being accused of, let's say, a financial crime involving authorities in one country and a bank headquartered in another country. This, there, there's like a particular instance I'm kind of referencing here with Black Cube, but I'm, I'm not going to get into like the specifics of it. So, but just say that's the case, right? And you are, you know, trying to mount a defense and you want to get information, right, that's going to help you in your defense, you call up Black Cube and you say, find me the info and, you know, get going by whatever <laughs> means necessary. Um, or for another example, you get wind that there's a negative story, you know, brewing out about you out in, in, in the press. Right. Because if you're like a famous person about whom negative stories might get, you know, we, we don't know about this. Right. Because we're just like regular people. But there's like people who have other people who tell them that other other people are talking about them and are going to write bad stories in the new york times or the washington post etc mysterious very mysterious so if you're one of those people you might call black cube or, or another one of these companies so who though like exactly these people are right these countries these entities these people um is a big part of the mystery you know because here and I was I was kind of telling you about this earlier. Here's Black Cube's kind of patented line when they're asked about you know anything essentially. <laughs> so quote: It is Black Cube's policy to never discuss its clients with any third party and to never confirm or deny any speculation made with regard to this company's work. Close quote. So they just they're just like not going to get into it. But, like, private lawyers and private, like, investigators are kind of the same way, right? Mm, to some extent. And the instances in which Black Cube's involvement is public typically involves their being hired by uh, a law firm to do work that ends up actually being used in litigation, right? Oh. So you have to understand that there are, there are instances in which their involvement is very public and they want it to be public. Um, it's part of their marketing, right? Um, they saved this guy a hundred million dollars, right? So they can save you a hundred million dollars. So give them a million dollars. You know, it's it's that sort of thing. But a lot of times, the I've, to my I guess understanding, the majority of the time, their involvement is not really publicly acknowledged, right? And for whom they work is not 
publicly known. It's it's typically very mysterious, and we'll we'll kind of get into that with a few of my different examples here. It'll become a recurring theme, as as we'll as we'll kind of see. So this is all very cryptic, right? The statement's very cryptic. The whole nature of this thing is very cryptic. Um, Black Cube and its proponents are also, and I was, I was telling you about this, very careful to point out that what they are doing is legal. That that uh, you know they they've consulted with the leading law firms in all of the jurisdictions in which they work, and and that all everything they do is very legal. It's definitely not illegal. It's all completely above board. So this is kind of their line on that. Uh, the firm says that it quote always operates in full compliance of the law in every jurisdiction in which it conducts its work, following legal advice from the world's leading law firms. Close quote. Legal. We are legal. I wanted you all to know that we are in fact <laughs> okay. doing things right. legally. Have we beaten this dead horse enough? <laughs> so some of the articles I read, um, you know, really as we're doing here, right overemphasize this point to 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 the and I think this was actually the Forbes Israel story that I was thinking of they just kept saying it so many times to the extent that I really started to wonder just what illegal shit they're trying to cover up right clearly there's something going on yeah. here where they're they are aware that what they're doing is at least perceived as not being above board as potentially being illegal and they're like really trying to make up for it <laughs> And despite their many protestations, right, Black Cube agents have been arrested in at least one instance that, that, that I heard about. So particularly, there were two employees um, who were arrested and some others who were sort of um, pursued, right, um, for crimes in Romania for allegedly harassing and committing, quote, email piracy against three people close to Laura Covesi, the head of Romania's National Anti-Corruption Directorate, or DNA. So the campaign was supposedly undertaken by Black Cube to try to substantiate claims of corruption against Covesi, although it should be pointed out that no evidence of that ever came to light, so it's not really clear, you know, whether that there was any substantiation for that whatsoever, ever. Um, but it's also not known, as we'll see who exactly hired them to do this, right? Some people think it was, you know, people whom Covesi had pursued for corruption of their own that were trying to sort of get her back, right? Or, you know, whatever. Could have been rivals within the government, any number of things. But um, there was also kind of a somewhat mysterious deal that was worked out between Black Cube and the Romanian authorities that allowed for the convicted employees to leave the country even before their already kind of light sentences were over, like with, within a few weeks or, or months. So I and most people in America who've like heard of Black Cube heard of about them in reference to their work on the Harvey Weinstein affair. Boo, boo, hiss, hiss, hiss. Ew. Gross. Harvey Weinstein, not a good guy. Um, so yes, the public revelation... Of course, if, you, if you're not aware, that Harvey Weinstein, the famous movie producer, had allegedly been raping and abusing women, many, many women, over many, many years, and been getting away with it, which fucking turns my stomach. Blah. It, it, it's a whole other, whole other thing. It's the whole other cans of worms. Very few things really 
make Mario angry. And it's <laughs> stuff like, it's just stuff pure like evil this. shit like that. That like, yes. Exactly. So, okay. This kind of gets into, I think, this it, kind of a topic, right? B- Black Cube, right? And we were, we're again, we, this, we were talking about this earlier. Are they good or bad? Are they black hats or white hats, right? Um, are they on the, the, the side of, of evil or good? Black hat and white hat is sort of like a, a terms in, um, uh, you know, sort of spying or law enforcement <laughs> or hacking. You know, like, for example, say I'm a white hat hacker, right? So I hack into companies, but I do so in order to get these bug bounties, so-called, where I tell the company proactively what the, you know, issue is with their um, system, not to exploit it, right, for money or anything, but just to let them know so that they can patch it, so they don't get exploited by bad people. Okay, so it's more of a, a good guy. Right, you're you're like a good guy doing bad things. Cool. You know, sort of a chaotic good. I was just about to say that. Right. I've been playing Baldur's Gate, so I've been more familiar with all the whole alignments and everything. <laughs> nerd alert, nerd alert. So, um... Yeah, that's and of course that that's a big topic in and of itself, and not really anything I'm going to answer, but it's it's just out there, you know. Are they kind of like what what is their true nature? Um, they certainly see themselves as the good guys, but you know, obviously, when they're working for people like Harvey Weinstein, hard to see them as the good guys, right? Yeah. They're certainly not on the side of the good guys there, you know, and in other instances too. So while many aspects of the um, you know, their involvement with the Harvey Weinstein affair were revealed by Ronan Farrow at The New Yorker. It was definitely uh, very mysterious at the time. And it, it sort of, I think, exemplifies or, or uh, is emblematic probably of a lot of their ways of working in, in the cases we don't know as much about, right? So um, there was a contract written up, and Black Cube's goal you know, written down was to provide Weinstein with, quote, intelligence which will help the client's efforts to completely stop the publication of a new negative article in a leading New York newspaper um, and obtain content from a book that was to include harmful negative information on and about the client. Okay. Right. So this is what they were hired to – what they were given many, many, many thousands of dollars to, to do, right? And this is a very, you know, um, specialized thing, right? You know, um, the kind of thing that you would want a private intelligence service to do, yeah. right? So part of the way that um, a company like Black Cube, we would execute this goal is the creation of fake companies, personas, internet identities, etc. that an agent would you know, represent themselves, you know, with, within this, fa- you know, kind of fantasy world, in a sense, in order to gain contacts and information. Now, this is essentially the same thing that the CIA and the Mossad and other covert intelligence services, you know, typically do, right? But, you know, Black Cube is doing it for hire, you know, for anyone who's got deep enough pockets, you know, to pay their fees, um, and as you can imagine, these operations run at least into the six figures. It's very. It seems. I don't. I don't. I forgot. Okay. I had a word for it, but I don't. <laughs> That's okay. So some of Black Cube undercover agents contacted women like Rose McGowan, 
uh, the actress R- Rose McGowan, who um, was the one who's writing the book, right, that they were trying to get info on. And, of course, who were one of the many women who were accusing Weinstein of, yeah. of, of wrongdoing. And um, other Black Cube undercover agents um, claimed to be Weinstein accusers and contacted reporters. So they were working both – literally working both sides. Why? Right, in order to try to gain information on the sources and, of course, on what the upcoming stories were about. So that – which, again – that's their contract, right? That's what they were hired to do. So this is how they're trying to do it. Get ahead of the game. Yeah. One of the agents targeting Rose McGowan, who claimed to be a Diana Phillip of Rubin Capital Partners, was later identified as Stella Penn Pashenak of Black Cube. And in another Black Cube operation, she also posed as an international recruiter named Maya Lazarov for a different fake company called Kaiser and company. So the quote-unquote Lazarov, right, actually um, uh, Peshrek, got an employee of a Canadian hedge fund to come to London supposedly to recruit her. However, the whole thing seemed pretty fishy to this employee and to her company. So they actually sent employees, um, the, the employee rather, with agents from a different private investigation firm who surveilled the meeting and essentially you know established that this was black cube right and not this company that they were purporting to be as the new york times put it quote in effect it became a case of spy versus spy i was gonna say yeah and yes of course this is what immediately conjures to mind but it's just interesting to think about how you know this isn't like you know the the uh, uh, the GRU and 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 the CIA. It's like two private intelligence. It's just weird to think about it that, in that context. So again, it was not exactly clear for whom Black Cube was working, and it it has never become become clear. Even as these other things have come out about this um, campaign. So you know clearly the anonymity of their clients is very important to Black Cube, right? They they are obviously holding it very closely. And uh, just a little side note about uh, Stella Penn Pashenek. Um, we, we, part of why we found out who she was was because her photo surfaced in a Daily Mail article. Um, and she was identified by some of the people whom she had targeted. But it also came out that she had been in a number of music videos in Israel and that her wedding photos were published online by a bridal shop. So there were pictures of her in her real identity just out there on the public internet. And yet she's a spy. You know, uh, yeah. She's not a very good spy. No. And, <laughs> and you know, it seems, and there are other instances of this too, right? There's some bumbling. There's some black cube bumbling, for sure, out there that you can find evidence of. Not always, you know, and some of the operations go perfectly smoothly, but some of these black cube agents are a bit of bumblers, perhaps, at times. Um, (laughs) Hey, I wouldn't be able to do it, so I'm not judging, but, you know. Um, But they're good at at keeping secrets, you know. Um, So one of their most secretive operations was carried out pretty recently against former members of the Obama administration, seemingly focused on those involved in the JCPOA, a.k.a. the Iran deal, which, of course, we've all 
you know, been hearing so much about if you're a nerd like me and you you read a lot of news but just very briefly there was a deal worked out between you know five countries and iran where they would give up a lot of their nuclear capacity so that it would prevent them from being able to make a nuclear bomb in any conceivable you know time scale you know whatever that we were comfortable with uh other people didn't like that we don't need to get into it. That's like a whole 18 other cans of worms. So like whatever, but that's kind of what that is. So it's been alleged the black cube was hired by aides of the Donald, uh, president Trump. Gross. Right. But this is very, very disputed and, and not at all, um, established. Others claim that they were, uh, black cube was hired by business interests. So again, we do not know who they were hired by. You know, it's that part of it is always seemingly mysterious. Yeah, seems like yeah. the reoccurring theme. Exactly. Just like I said it would be. Because I wrote this, so I should know what I'm going to talk about, right? <laughs> You're welcome. Others claim, uh, oh, I already said that. But as we, I already said that too. So what we do know is, <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. What we do know is that some pretty creepy interactions happened between Black Cube operatives and some of the family members of some of these former Obama um, officials. For example, here's a kind of a, a more extended quote from a Ronan Farrow article describing what happened to one uh, spouse of a former official. Quote, in June 2017, Ann Norris, a former State Department official, received an email containing an unusual proposal. Norris is married to Ben Rhodes, a former foreign policy advisor to President Barack Obama and a prominent advocate of the Iran deal. In the email, a woman who introduced herself as Ava Novak and claimed to work for a London-based film company called Shell Productions asked Norris to consult on a movie that she described as All the President's Men Meets the West Wing. It was... <laughs> Okay, It would follow the personal lives of government officials in the positions that determine war and peace during times of geopolitical crisis. Um, recalling the exchange, Ann Norris said that she found Ava Novak's request bizarre and that she never responded, which was a good idea. So that was, that was the end of the quote. Why have I heard Ava Novak? Does she uh, get... I don't know. Mm, it's maybe, just another fake persona. maybe i'm thinking of something else it's not a real that's not that's i, I yeah, yeah obviously it's the that was this it's the same woman actually the passionate woman so yeah she's all over the place um so a similar thing happened to rebecca call the wife of former obama administration foreign policy advisor uh colin call so, again, there were aliases, fake LinkedIn profiles, fake websites, you know, just like a whole sort of facade around this, right? They're not deep. If you looked at these closely, you'd see it's just a website someone made, you know, put some pictures up. But if you were just kind of glancing, it would seem, you know, sort of real. And if the fake company, Rubin Capital Partners, made another appearance. So that, all, that, that name also keeps recurring. It seems to be a a common fake company persona that Black Cube at least used to use. Of course, now it's like, well, everyone knows they're fake. So all of this was in an effort to find any possible damaging or embarrassing information about these targets or their families. It should be pointed out, none of none of that, in, no, no in such information ever came to light. 
So the operation also involved targeting journalists who were believed to have been um, or had sources within the Obama administration. And while not everything about this, you know, kind of shadowy operation is known, one of its targets, Ben Rose, had some thoughts. So here's his his thoughts. Rhodes said that the campaign represented a troubling situation in which public servants were being targeted for their work in government. This just eviscerates any norm of how governments should operate or treat their predecessors and their families, he said. It crosses a dangerous line, which I think is true. But of course, that's the kind of, you know, kind of the point of these companies, right, is they're they're there to, you know, kind of walk right up to and maybe even cross over some of those dangerous lines, um, you know, in order to kind of, you know, get get this information that they're supposed to get, right, that they feel they should get. They feel they're on the, the right side here, right, that they're working for the good guys, even if it's clear from the outside that they're sort of not. Um, you know, I think just, just to get kind of like a more nuanced view of it, right? That's how they, they justify doing these things to themselves, you know, is that it's in the service of a greater good. So if you have to, like, lie to somebody, well, police lie to people, you know, uh, you can you can justify it in a number of ways. For the greater good. Right. So sometimes Black Cube is genuinely in the right, though. I mean, there, you read about some of these instances and there's no, you know, kind of question as to whether they were working for the corrupt side because they expose, you know, corruption or they expose bribery or, you know, underhanded, you know, things or secret assets or things like that. So it's not to say that they're always clearly black hats either, you know. So is there like one leader of Black Cube who like approves and disapproves who they're going to work for or like why is it that they're so mixed? I mean, we have no idea. I mean, what what the the actual decision making within the organization is is right. pretty opaque, um, pun intended. But I mean, we do know who their leaders are. We know that they were, you know, um, founded, and I don't remember their names, but they were founded by two, you know, ex uh, Mossad agents. Um, you know, in their sort of mid thirties at the time, their board and uh, includes you know famous members, uh, former heads of Mossad. Uh, former generals, you know, leading members of academia. So, you know, they, they, they certainly do have um, some transparency in who their, you know, who their leaders are, just not necessarily in terms of how they obtain clients or vet clients, you know, other than, you know, that they say they vet them very well. But, you know, we, we don't have a lot of transparency necessarily in that respect. So, you know... Yeah, this kind of gets into the fact that there's the sales pitch, right, that Black Cube gives, and then there's, like, the reality of what happens. And, you know, the, the, the mystery is in the, the differential, right, or, yeah. or in, in the lack thereof within both of those. Because, obviously, the pitch is not telling us everything, and we just really don't know everything about what is actually going on. So, um, yeah, this, this it's kind of leaves a lot to uh, to be mysterious, um, okay, so here's another little quote from a, a Quartz article about this whole idea of their, their sales pitch. Um, quote, the document makes vague references to services, including identifying your opponent's vulnerabilities, interests, priorities, and strategy, and having a proactive approach, including several unique methods 
especially in the social engineering field. Uh. One, right, one subhead <laughs> ominously titled Identifying Misconduct and Developing Leverage discusses finding evidence of criminality and using it to maximum effect through courts or authorities. Through courts or authorities. Um, legal, legal. All <laughs> completely legal. So, yes, we're left with a fair amount of mystery, um, some of it a bit more philosophical, right? This whole, you know, are they good or bad question, some of it more practical, um, especially, you know, for whom has Black Cube worked? What are their exact, you know, methods, sources, etc.? Um, as with any intelligence service, whether it's private or public, uh, secrecy and mystery are kind of the point, right? They're not here to tell us everything that they're doing. Um, but, you know, we can certainly look for more mystery and probably more scandal and controversy from Black yeah. Cube in the future. So, um, you know, definitely a, a name to keep track of. I bet there's a lot of dirt to dig up. Right. Within that company. Investigate the investigators, man. It's kind of creepy. It is. The, the whole thing is kind of, is a little bit creepy, uh, especially when they're, like, emailing your wife, pretending that they want to, like, yeah. give money to her charity, but instead they're just, like, trying to find out shit about your life. Like, yeah, that's pretty crazy. So my sources, and, and I've got quite a few, um, were Efret Parrots and Hadis Magan uh, or Magan at Globes. Uh, which is an Israeli um, business publication. Uh, Wikipedia, of course, the Black Cuban Mossad pages. Uh, Shuki Sadeh, Haretz, AFP at the Times of Israel. Yuval Hirshhorn at Forbes Israel. Uh, Ynetnews.com. Simon Bowes at The Guardian. Ronan Farrow, of course, at The New Yorker. Jim Rutenberg, Matthew Goldstein, and William Rauschbaum at The New York Times. Richard Engel from MSNBC. DJ Pangburn at Fast Company. And Max DeHaldevang at Quartz. Wow. That's my sources. Wow. Okay. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. It's so crazy. Wow. It's like nuts. Wow. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> okay, now you go. It's my turn? <laughs> it's your turn. All right. Um, it's your time to shine, Chloe. All right, everybody. I have a, <laughs> I have a, I have a ghost story. Ooh. And Mario. Yes. I know you don't. What? Believe in the paranormal and the supernatural, but I think I'm you need to my, you know, open. I, okay, I, I, I all right, do. all I right. Have, I, you know, I have an open mind. Yes. Skepticism means you always have an open mind. Keep that in mind. Really? I never thought. That, I never if, thought if of skepticism strict, like that at all. The strict def, no, because people conflate erroneously skepticism with cynicism, or oh. or you know things of that nature. It's not. Skepticism is taking all evidence as it comes on its own terms. Okay. Okay, so... <clears throat> okay. so and that's is, my soapbox. This is very... This is kind of more of a legend, cool. and... <laughs> it's nuts. It's really crazy. Okay. We've got magic and murder and betrayal and all kinds of stuff. And so that's crazy stuff. We... Our story begins in Jamaica... In 1746 with the Rose Hall um, mansion. So it was built off the coast of Montego Bay. Um, it's a 290 acre plot of land 
bought by an English man named Henry Fanning. So he bought it for him and his future wife, Rosa Kelly, to live on. So he's like, all right, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy this land. So they married a year later in 1747. But Henry died a few months after the wedding before he even got to build and like use the land. Um, So Rosa, now a widow, she moves on and marries a wealthy landowner named George Ash. So George is the one that goes on and, and he builds the mansion. And some believe it was named after Rosa, like Rose Hall. Um, but other, but I think, I think one of my sources said he was like close to the Rose family, which is some kind of wealthy family during the time. So he might've named it after them. Well, we don't really know. Um, he also dies a few years later um, in 1752 after the construction was completed. So um, the Rose Mansion operates as an enormous sugar plantation. It supposedly has over 2,000 slaves working its fields at one point in history. It's one of the largest in Jamaica, and it's one of the most famous at the time. The mansion is gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, It's Georgian style, so um, it's symmetrical. It's simplistic. Um, So it's it's also based on the architecture in ancient Greece and Rome. It's gorgeous. So Rosa moves on again after George dies, and a year later she marries a man named Norwood Witter. So by all reports, this is a very unhappy marriage okay so norwood he spends all of rosa's money he leaves her with debt and then he dies in 1767 finally in 70 yeah finally in 1768 she marries john palmer this is her fourth husband now um so john palmer super rich he's a a landowner and he owns the neighboring uh palmyra estate and he's also he's a widower and he has two sons living in England. So um, Rosa and John have pretty happy marriage until Rosa's death in 1790. And then John dies seven years later in 1797. So John leaves the Rose Hall mansion to his sons in England, but they never came to Jamaica to officially claim it. Instead, the ownership passes on to his um his grandnephew by the same name, John Rose Palmer, who moves from England to Jamaica and he takes charge in 1818. So John marries a woman named Annie Patterson, making her Annie Palmer. And it's her who becomes the White Witch of Rose Hall. Mm-hmm. And here's her story. So the the legend. And obviously, like most legends, there's lots of variations to the story and as time goes on it changes and morphs into something new um so annie had an english mother and irish father and she grew up in haiti with her parents being immigrants or they moved to haiti when she was young there's little little confusion there anyway she learned voodoo from her from her nanny who mostly raised her. So she had a natural talent for voodoo. Um, and so let's go over voodoo a little bit. So voodoo is a common religion in Haiti. It, it merges both Catholic and African beliefs. So like a con- this is kind of a common uh, thing when you, when you um, 
look into depth about the slave trade and the lives of Africans and um, the whole journey between the 18th and 19th centuries and stuff like that. Africans in the slave trade who were brought over to the New World were forbidden to practice their native religions, um, totally cut off. So to get around this, they equated their gods with Catholic saints. So they changed names, but their origins were still um, the same. And they performed their rituals um, with imagery that aligned with the Catholic Church. So it was kind of masking their real religion with Catholicism. I'd like to note that there are lots of misconceptions about um, voodoo and that it's wrongly associated with like devil worship and violence and dark magic. And no, that's not true it's not really a thing and most of that idea comes from the very dangerous and violent slave uprisings that took place in the late 18th century and because um voodoo was something that they practiced people just kind of put two and two together you know wrongly Mm -hmm. um and associated those kinds of things with the religion. Um, Voodoo does include animal sacrifices and voodoo dolls, but it's not the kind you like model after someone and stick with a pin. That's not, it's not really a thing, but the dolls do symbolize a specific God and it um, like attracts their power and their influence and it's used in rituals and stuff like that. Yeah. I was just going to say that this, this whole, you know, having multiple gods, having symbols for the gods, you know, figurines, it's very, very common. I mean, there's versions of this from, you know, the Eastern animistic religions to ancient Rome to, you know, whatever you, you want to look at. So it's, it's just interesting. I mean, I'm very interested in religion, For sure. uh, you know, that it, it's, it's pretty universal, you know, and again, not at all these misconceptions you know that people have it's it's actually it it's just very normal like voodoo is just a very sort of normal when you look into it there's nothing very remarkable about it it has a lot of catholic beliefs you know like yeah yeah. so the idea that annie palmer practiced voodoo is pretty important to like the legend and the components it's a important component to the overall story probably an origin for the darkness and mystery that surrounds rose hall even to this day and why it's so popular so annie we have annie she meets john palmer so annie patterson becomes annie palmer they get married she moves off to jamaica with him and they did not have a happy marriage Mm. so their honeymoon didn't last very long john was very abusive to her he neglected her And as a result, Annie took on many lovers. She was very promiscuous. Uh, And some of them were even the slaves from their own plantation. And, you know, they grow apart. um, Their marriage gets worse. And it all escalates one day when John walks in on Annie during one of these extramarital affairs. And he beats her within an inch of her life, reportedly with... um, a riding crop so absolutely brutal Annie's like fuck you I mean she didn't say it but you know she retaliates she poisons John and he ends up dead within the next few days um so but some say that she like Annie cursed put a spell on him and cursed him and that's how he died um but a lot of sources say poison and Annie was never convicted even though this was like kind of suspicious but like Mm. 
she went on to inherit the estate, the estate and uh, inherit the whole thing, uh, the estate and the plantation, the land. So at that point, she's like one of the richest and most influential women in Jamaica now that she owns the biggest plantation in the entire country. Mm-hmm. So this is when her, quote, reign of terror begins, right? So she marries again. So she actually married after um, John Palmer dies. She marries two more times, actually. Um, but both husbands died in mysterious ways. Mm. So it's said that she killed her second husband by stabbing him in the chest while he was sleeping. And one of the sources said that she, like, poured acid in his ear to, like, make sure that he was dead. But that sounded really dumb. Um, the third husband, she strangled to death, supposedly, with the help of her slave odor, own, slave lover named Taku, which we'll talk about. We'll t- he comes back later. So despite her, you know, she has all these subsequent marriages, Annie continues her promiscuous ways, taking slaves as lovers, even when she is married. She mostly gets married to quell the rumors that mm-hmm. she's being promiscuous. So that was really the, the main reason. Mm-hmm. So this is where the legend gets kind of crazy. So le- legend has it that she has all these slaves as lovers and she is incredibly cruel she's this like crazy power trip right so when she was tired of them she got rid of them she killed them she cursed them with black magic or something um she set traps around the property so they could never escape she um the slaves that worked in the house she set up this rule where they had to whistle whenever they were around food making sure that they weren't taking any for themselves because like the logic there i guess was that because you can't whistle if your mouth is full Right, I guess, or something. Um, and so she was, she had very cruel punishments for very little things. She would decapitate them if they were caught stealing food or like not whistling, crazy shit like that. And because of this cruelty and her regular practice of voodoo, the slaves nicknamed her the White Witch of Rose Hall. So that's where all of that started. So let's go back to Annie's slave lover, Taku, who was also well-versed in voodoo and magic. He also um, practiced these types of things. So there are a few, like I said, there's it's a legend, so there's very few versions of the story. And one is that Taku caught wind that Annie was getting tired of him and, he, and that she was planning to kill him. So Taku acted first by placing a spell on her that weakened her so he could strangle her to death. Another version is that Annie fell in love with someone else, but that man that she fell in love with wasn't in, wasn't into her, but he was into Taku's granddaughter, and Annie was like, I need to get her out of the way. So she kills the granddaughter, and Taku is, is so distraught, so angry, um, that he then uh, retaliates and strangles Annie to death. And some stories say that she, uh, Annie put a spell on Taku's granddaughter, and it summoned a ghost that would cause uh, the person whom it visited to die a slow, painful death. Um, so Taku and the rest of the slaves. So Annie was, she was definitely killed. Um, and the rest of the slaves, they bury her, but they take precautions. Like they burn all of her possessions. So her spirit. Um, Salt and burn the body. Classic supernatural shit. Um, her spirit uh, can't come back. They placed her in this, like, concrete coffin enchanted with all these spells. And they did some kind of, like, binding ritual or 
something. Um, it didn't didn't really work though, because Annie's spirit was continued to be spotted all the time. Um, her murder also coincided with the slave uprisings that erupted all over Jamaica in the 19th century. Um, but despite this, lots of fighting, lots of violence, Rose Hall continued to stand. Some say it's because, like, there's magic surrounding it and that Annie isn't really gone and her spirit's, like, protecting the place. Or that um, it wasn't destroyed because, like, people purposely didn't destroy it because there's, like, an evil spirit in there. And if you destroy it, she'll be released. Um, and then she'll be able to roam wherever she pleases or something. So... The estate was eventually abandoned. It fell into disrepair until 1960 when the property was purchased by former Miss USA, Michelle Rollins, and her husband, and they refurbished the plantation. They bought it. They redid it. So they added floors made of mahogany. There were added interior windows and doorways. There were wood ceilings and panelings. They decorated with silk wallpaper and beautiful paintings and chandeliers. And they turned it into a tourist attraction and a museum. And there's even like a bar and a restaurant there. So we have this great story, this great legend. But let's talk about the real story. All right. Let's get real here. So. The legend is really just a legend. So the real Annie Palmer was was born Annie Mary Patterson, and she was a Jamaican of Scots descent. So she didn't grow up in Haiti. She didn't have a Haitian nanny. She wasn't trained in voodoo at all. Uh, she did marry John Rose Palmer in 1820, uh, but her... Uh, but he was her her first and only husband, and they had, you know, seemingly normal life. And Annie never killed her husband. She never killed anybody. Um, and John died of natural causes in 1827. Uh, and they didn't even keep they didn't keep slaves at all. Uh, the estate was only cared for by slaves for a few years at most. Um, she died. Annie died in 1846. And left what she didn't have a lot left, but she left what she had to her goddaughter named Julia Mary Spence. So because there were these like huge amounts of debt attached to both Rose Hall and John Palmer's other state, Palmyra, they were passed into the hands of the receivers. And at that point, they stood empty and abandoned until 1960 when Michelle Rollins mm-hmm. bought it and all that good right, stuff. Right, right. That actually happened. Um so you're kind of wondering, like, how did he, all of this legend right. even happen? Like, where does this even cover, come from? So some of it, some of the, like, like husbands and, like, promis- promiscuity um, maybe stems from Rosa Palmer um, and how she had four, hu- like, husbands before she married uh, mm-hmm. the, the elder John Palmer. Right. Um, the fact that they were both named John Palmer doesn't help. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Um, And the legend definitely, like, her her fate was definitely sealed when there was a book written in 1929 by a man named Herbert de Lissier titled The White Witch of Rose Hall. (laughs) And it was a fictional book. It was totally made up. People were like, oh, Rose Hall, that's a real place. Maybe this story is real. And 
the rest is history, you know. Nobody um, can write it in a book if it ain't real. I, it's like it's like saying everything on the internet is true. Exactly. Because it is. Okay. So, the question here is, is Rose Hall really haunted? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> Answer to question. Everything's haunted. The whole... <laughs> If people say it's haunted, it's haunted. That's it, period. <laughs> but Rose Hall is notorious for being haunted, and it's it's still, like, a huge tourist attraction. It's been visited um, by, like, ghost hunters and, like, those TV shows and all that good stuff. Just people looking for a little excitement. Um, I personally would love to get hammered in that bar and, like, go ghost hunting and shit. <laughs> nice. Like, <laughs> take me on a tour. <laughs> um there are claims of like a shadowy figure wearing green velvet riding clothes, riding a black horse across the estate. And others say they see a woman dressed in white hovering around the stairs. And if I'm going to, I'll like post pictures of the, the mansion because it's beautiful. There's this beautiful, like it's on like a hill, um, huge staircase that like leads up to this gorgeous mansion. So they say that she's hovers around those stairs and she sometimes is moving around the building as well. Mm. The cellar area, which actually is now a gift shop, has reports of like mysterious screams being heard or like footsteps running across the ceiling, like creepy, ghosty shit like that. And I mean, yeah, so overall, there's like a lot of mystery surrounding the place. Mm. Um, and it is a really gorgeous place with lots of history and lots of weird things attributed to it there there is like um a huge like white coffin that's there but they don't know if it's annie's or not uh she didn't i don't think she even died on the property i think they like gave away the property before she died or something like that Hmm. and like the timeline for all of this is really weird because they talked about how like she died around the time of the slave uprisings which was like in the 1830s but then she like divorced her like last husband in like the 1750s or something like it was it was like a weird timeline and i i tried my best uh but yeah it's wild pretty crazy wild crazy crazy um i mean yeah that's that's it that's my story i got it man good job it wasn't that long but (laughs) uh (laughs) it's there but I was, but I, I was like, I want to do something ghosty, and you're like, okay, you should yeah. do something from like a different country. And I was like, oh, exactly. for sure, because we're I'm, we're always all about doing, you know, every single possible place and country we can do. I'm a slut for Jamaica. Yeah, you do love Jamaica, so I'm kind of surprised we hadn't done something from there before. Actually. I think I want to do some more. We'll see. Good. Um, but I do have weird shit in the news because I really want to talk about in it. The news. Weird shit in the news. Thank you for listening. Weird guys. shit. So. This is from CNN article. It says, quote, Hawaii hiker says she followed a voice down an unfamiliar tra- trail and she got lost for seven days. 17. 17 days. So, this is a crazy story. So, this is an article by Steve Almacy. So, it happened about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Her name is Amanda Eller and she went to the Makawao Forest Reserve on the Hawaiian island of Maui. So she wanted to like connect with nature and like get grounded. And I get um so she's a physical therapist. She had the whole day herself, so she was like, "Okay, I'm going to go for a 3-mile walk, being there for a couple hours." So, quote, "I don't really know what happened." 
Um, all I can say is that I have strong sense of internal guidance, whatever you want to call that, a voice, spirit. Everybody has a different name for it. My heart was telling me to walk down this path, go left, great, go right. It was so strong. So I guess it was not, it turned out it wasn't strong. Uh, she like meditated on a log or something and then she wanted to go back to her car but she tried one path didn't work tried another path didn't work she was lost so uh i guess she turned up on a, a boar path um and eventually she's there for 17 she ended up sp- spending 17 days in the wood just trying to get back to her car trying to stay alive and catch the attention of searchers in helicopters and then when she was found she spent two days in Mali in the Mali hospital being treated for sun- severe sunburn twisted knee and ankle problems and then she went home um and she wants to be back to work in two weeks so uh she talks about how this is her destiny it's not a punishment and kind of freaked her out but in hindsight, even though she hates cell phones, she would have taken hers with her into the forest. Also, next time, she'll take a water bottle. Good. Glad she learned her lesson. <laughs> scary, though. I learned that lesson a long time ago. Um, nature is scary and don't go into it. I mean, and I like air conditioning. I, so. And I enjoy the air conditioning. Thanks for listening, you guys. Guys, thank you so much for listening. weeks. If you are here on episode 75 and you listen to all of our episodes, you are a real OG. And right. you should consider donating to Patreon, dollar a month. That's all it takes. All it takes, baby. <laughs> um, tell your friends. Follow right. us on all the social media. Insta, MarioText30, my Twitter. Twitter, LOL. All the stuff. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.